Welcome to First. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and I'm honored to be here to be the waiter of the word for you this morning. Is anybody hungry out there for, for something from God? Is that why you showed up? Okay. All right. There we go. That's good. That's good. That's good. I love it when uh, I'm preparing a message and God kind of turns it on me. I end up uh, well, sometimes we come with an agenda, right? And then God says, no, we're going to do that one. And I really want you to know before I start in this, like, what I'm about to give to you is the message I've preached to myself first. It's not just something that, uh, you know, I'm throwing at you. It's something that, that God has been speaking to me. So if you have your Bibles, you know we've been in this True North series. We're going to continue in chapter 9, and my assignment today is what many of you might call the pay your pastor passage. Yep, that's what I said, pay your pastor. So maybe you're new here, or maybe you've been inviting someone for a long time, and they finally took you up on that offer today, and like, this is really what you're going to get into on this Labor Day weekend? Well, yes and no. Yes, because here at first, we just, uh, once a year, we'll go through the Bible, and we just preach all the parts of that. We don't just preach the parts that we think sound good or the ones that we want to. We preach every bit of that passage. And no, because really uh, what we're going to deal with today is just a, continue a continuation of last week's message about rights. Really, for chapters 8, 9, and 10... Paul is going to be dealing with this issue of rights. You could say last week we talked about how and when we use those rights. Today we're going to deal with the why. So you guys know we're in a time in society today that just is consumed by rights. Pick any topic uh, that you want, right, and it gets divisive real quick. And it really is that way because, I mean, we're Americans, right, and how was America founded? We were fighting for our rights, and not much really has changed. We have the Constitution and a Bill of Rights, and we all enjoy the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We enjoy that as Americans. And that's all good until sometimes the pursuit of that come in conflict with each other. So my concern here today isn't to, to uh, deal with the use of rights as an American, but the rights we have as followers of Jesus. So last week, Eric talked about uh, the principle that Paul laid down to cease any activity that might be harmful to another. Um, Paul is really getting at uh, that we, we have to use our rights right. Not that you need a sermon title, but that if I was going to put a title on this, my guiding thought if someone says, what was the message about today, I would say, Use this right, right. So in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's going to use himself as an example. And so here we go. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, which is Peter? 
Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law, the Old Testament, the law, say the same thing? It is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hopes of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seeds among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Let's stop right there. And so in order to use our rights right, we have to accept the right position. We have to accept the right position. So Paul's using his position here as an apostle to illustrate that we should not seek our own good, but seek the good of others. We're called to love God and love others, right? It's really quite that simple. And we use that principle, that love God and love others, to make the right decisions, So to understand what Paul's talking about, we have to understand what he means by apostle. So the New Testament has two usage, two uses, usages, uses, two uses of the word apostle. I'll get it right here. Uh, The first one is the 12. First one is the 12. The 12 were uh, 12 guys. Now, Jesus had a lot of followers, but he had 12 specific guys that followed him around. They were able, uh, Y 12, well, there were 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and uh, don't get hung up on the number, but Jesus is the, is the uh, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, like I practice this, he's uh, finishing the Old Covenant, starting the New Covenant. He's going to finish the law, right? And so he's kind of symbolic, the 12 tribes. Listen, why hang here for a little while about the 12 is that these guys were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry, his death and resurrection. And later in this letter, Paul's gonna butt dress his argument about the resurrection, talking about these guys that were there to see it, along with many others. He talks about 500 in that. Another reason I bring this up is because, you know, why your Bible is put together for you, like this book is like the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, so this is the seventh book in the New Testament. It's really one of the first letters written. Now, why do I tell you all that? Well, because people say, there's all this time that passed in the Bible, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff happened. Well, this is not true. This is written about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, where these people... Uh, we're still alive to be able to testify about that. So that's your extra credit bonus stuff. But the other usage of this word uh, is one who sent. One who sent. And so this is actually what the word apostle means. It means one who sent. And uh, it just refers to individuals that are sent out to be messengers of the gospel. So Paul isn't one of these. Uh, He's one of these. You with me? It doesn't make Paul less than, it just, he just plays a different position, right? You don't want to compare your position to other people's position because God uh, doesn't want you to do that. He has a position for you you shouldn't compare. Paul ends up taking the gospel farther than any of these 12 actually did, and he and ends up writing over half the New Testament. So he's not, it's not a less than thing, it's just a different position. Okay, so 
What, what, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, in the one who's sent, there's other categories. There's people in vocational uh, ministry. This is a church staff. This is before they had buildings and budgets and spreadsheets and programs. Uh, it's just their church staff. And this is, Paul main, is Paul's main thrust here, but it also includes followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are also sent. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he sent his son. And like father, like son, because Jesus so loved the world that he sent the church. So let's deal with the position of vocational ministry right now. Before I even jump into this, I don't have any inside track to budgets. I didn't ask anybody information. I don't know if you've been tithing or not tithing. I have no skin, uh, not that it's not available to me and not that it's not available to you. I'm just trying to at least play my card. I'm just preaching to you from experience and what I see in this text. So ministry staff is responsible for equipping the body for works of service so we can be built up in unity and maturity, right? Ephesians 4. I think we haven't reached that still yet, so there's still work for ministry staff to do. And we're to be paid for that. Now, some here will point out when we get into this text that Paul doesn't take money from this church, so neither should uh, ministers. But that's the exception, not the rule. Paul, Paul will write another letter to this church that we call 2 Corinthians, and you can write this down, look it up later, 2 Corinthians 11.8, and he says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them to serve you. Because ministry always requires that people pay for those who serve full-time. In the Old Testament, there was 12 tribes, and the Levite tribe would uh, serve at the tabernacle and eventually the temple, and the other 11 tribes provided for them. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, even though he's the son of God, was funded by women uh, to support his ministry. Luke chapter 8, Jesus sends his disciples out, telling them to take nothing with them because a worker deserves his wages. Paul will actually write a letter to a young pastor named Timothy where he takes that Old Testament principle and he takes Jesus's words and he adds a little extra punch. You can look this up later in 1 Timothy 5.17 and he says, the elders, let me stop right there. That's a new term, the elders. Now we have, not gonna get into it all, but right now at this point, the elders were the church staff. There was nobody else. This is Who's responsible for doing things? So the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double honor. How much of an honor? How much of an honor? Double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wage. So in my experience, it seems like Christians think ministers should be paid very low, and most non-Christians think we're paid way too much. And neither extreme is helpful or biblical. You know, in the business world, a, value, a valued employee, it's expected to be compensated and cared for for the work that they do. And a lot of times in the church world, we're expected to take a hometown discount. I often... Uh, Churches will lose 
and not be able to retain her best because we want five-star products at bargain barrel prices. I mean, let me just tell you as a pastor, like, I'm not here to get rich. The staff here is not here to get rich. You know, we just, we just want the same things you want from your work. We want to be able to live, provide for our families, to, to be able to retire someday, to have insurance, to be able to actually take a vacation. The canon of the Bible is clear that you don't call someone into ministry that's trying to get rich, but you don't become a church that's trying to keep him poor. So that's all I got to say about that. Nick can breathe. We're not going to touch that again. So that's the rights of the position serving vocationally. But what about the rights of a disciple? What rights do you have? Well, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. You've been set apart. You have a birth certificate from heaven. You are, your citizenship is in heaven. You are part of a royal priesthood, which means you are all pastors in here today. If someone's looking for, for a pastor, we got plenty of them sitting in the pews because when you show up into a space, you bring God into that room. You've got holy DNA, divineness, pumping through your veins, the same thing that gets me to come up here and have the confidence to speak to you, you have that same thing. We, we get it from Jesus, the same power that resurrected him from the grave. You have that power. You're part of God's army and you have been equipped to give hell a hard time. You really have, you, you have divine weapons that can, that can demolish strongholds. Did you know that you are armed and dangerous and you don't even carry a permit to have those things? When uh, you get up, the devil gets nervous because if you take your position, he knows that you're more than a conqueror. And if you've ever been in a fight and you know that you can win, that gives you the advantage. That gives you the advantage. You know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So you don't have to fear Republicans. You don't have to fear Democrats. You don't have to feel fear of economic downturn, of pandemics, or, or the collapse of a, our economics. You know why? Because you work for a different kingdom. You work for a different and better kingdom. And despite how things might look, you know that God is working in all things, not just in the good times, but in the bad times, not just when life is easy, but when life is hard. God is working in all your situations for your good. These are your rights in your position to Jesus. I don't get special ones. We all have the same rights. But we don't just, hear me, we don't just get in our positions for an hour on Sunday. You've got to get in your positions the other six days of the week. And yes, you don't have this mic. You don't have some kind of fancy title. But God has sent you to a place he needs representation. I'm sorry for yelling, but I get excited. I think you guys need to know that thing. You need to put a little pep in your step when you walk out of here. You are somebody because you are somebodies. I'll be fired up for you. I'll be fired up for you. First family, we have an amazing reach here. We really do. Like we got people not just from Champaign. We got people of Muhammad and Seymour and Rantoul and Savoy and some strange town called St. Joe. And I mean, I actually had an hour conversation with a couple from Louisiana that attended our church last two weeks ago. 
Isn't that amazing? And we have amazing talent. You guys are some of the most gifted people I have seen. You have all kinds of skills and abilities, and it's just phenomenal. It's really phenomenal. But God sent you to do some reaching, both where you live and both here. And if we all get in the right positions, I'm championing though. If we get in our right positions, Scott, if we could just all pull together, there's nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that we can't do. So to use our rights right, we have to get in the right, accept our right position, but it's more than just that. Let's pick up uh, back in verse 12. Back in verse 12. And he says uh, the second part of that. But we did not use this right. But we did not use this right. See where I get my title from? On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So you've got to assume the right posture. You've got to assume the right posture. So while every position comes with rights, how and when we use those rights are left up to us. A boss can be heavy-handed or supportive. Uh, a parent can raise their child out of fear or out of encouragement. We can assume the worst about, the, about people or we can believe the best. Same position, different, different posture. Are you with me? What I'm saying is we choose the posture of our position. So what we miss when it comes to the posture of our position is that there's this relational transa transaction that occurs that someone benefits at the expense of another. You know, kids enjoy a lifestyle provided to them at the cost of their parents. Get an amen from somebody on that, right? You know, you're working hard. We enjoy the freedoms we have in America at the cost of people who have given their lives and serve us for you to enjoy those things. Husbands can win an argument with their wives at the cost of maybe sleeping on the couch. These are how it works. The Paul has, as an apostle, has rights. He could have just demanded money and he would have been within his rights, but he chooses a different posture and lays down those rights. The question is, why? Well, during this time, there was these wisdom teachers. You know, they had uh, all this knowledge and secret information about life, and they would go around um, telling everyone, and once people were curious and leaning in, they would say, hey, I'll, I'll give you a private session where I'll reveal to you my secrets of success, and I'll put it in a program that's customizable to you for a, for a fee, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Still happens all the time, doesn't it? So those that could afford it uh, got the message why those that couldn't were left out. Paul won't have any of this. He won't let the gospel be hindered because of money. In that same letter, I know I'm jumping, but in that same letter, 2 Corinthians uh, we did 11.8, I'm gonna go 11.7. He says, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God free of charge? You see, our postures can either elevate our platforms or they can elevate someone else's. Hit me with the next slide. If, if, if we're worried, uh, yeah, about building our kingdom, we, we are demanding things from others in order to, raise our platform. But in the kingdom of God, we are giving things to others in order to elevate their platform. And this is where we get stuck right here, right? Because when we're denied rights 
Oh man, we want to fight. Don't we? When we're denied rights, we just want to fight. It's hard to surrender rights because it feels like losing, doesn't it? And we hate losing. Pastor Eric been talking about Ricky Bobby. Let me throw my hat in the ring. You know, it's the Ricky, Ricky Bobby model, right? If you ain't first, you're last. Pastor confession. So, uh, yeah, hello? Yeah. This is first. Glad you called. It's not God, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, God. Oh. Pastor confession. So, Oh, I got to be quick. Pastor confession. So, uh, uh, you know, I am a pastor, but when I take this microphone off and I get in my car, I'm just Josh. And Josh is responsible for picking up his kids. And we got this new system at the school where you get in this line and up to the front and it doesn't work real smooth, but it's okay, right? You know where I'm going with this. And like, so, I mean, you could be in this line for like 20, 30 minutes and people know they come in these side roads and they're kind of like innocent, like, hmm, we know what you're doing. You're trying to cut in that line, and you know, because I'm a man of God, right? I just, yeah, go ahead. You know, I let them in, you know, I, that's what I do. Uh, but yeah, so this one day in particular, this car comes up on the side and I, and there's houses there. So we just all assume this car is just trying to get to his house, right? But it gets to the front of the school and it pulls in that lot and passes everybody in that line and gets sneaks right in the front. And so I, you know, I only think holy thoughts all the time, you know, so I'm just like, oh yeah, peace of God be with you. No, I was, I had evil thoughts. I really wish I had a paintball gun at that time. I said paintball gun, don't censor me. Because I really wanted, you know, to let them have it. I really wanted, because man, it just irked me that they got in front, that they went first. They denied my right. Are you with me? Is it just me? Because when I'm denied rights, I want to fight. I do. What Paul's doing and saying is, is it looks like we're losing on purpose. And it goes against every fiber in our body. So how on earth can Paul expect people to take that posture? Seems weak and foolish. Let's jump back into verse 15. 1 Corinthians 9:15. But I have not used these rights and I'm not writing in hopes that you would do such a thing for me, for I'd rather die than allow the gospel to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So last one, we have to acknowledge the right price. We have to acknowledge the right price. Paul can't help but talk about Jesus. He has to. It's a burn inside of him. He goes into his imagined dragon's voice and he says, I, I, I got this feelings, yeah, you know, where I'm losing all control because there's magic in my bones. He's got to talk about you. He's compelled to do it, even if it's for free. So why does he feel this way? Well, he is able to surrender his rights because he acknowledges the price paid for his position. We all know we will only pay the big bucks for things we consider valuable. You won't move for things that don't move you. Because the amount of sacrifice is tied to the degree of value. 
It's like a man who was walking in a field and he stumbled upon a great treasure. And in his joy, he went and sold everything he had to buy that treasure. Now, a lot of people said, man, it's foolish. You're selling everything you got to buy this field that's just been sitting there and nobody, want, nobody wants it. But he knew what he had found. What looked foolish to some people looked like a no-brainer to the guy who knew what he had found. And he was willing to do that. It's like the woman who anointed Jesus with this alabaster jar of perfume. It, it was expensive. It would be like more than a year's wages uh, to cover the cost of this bottle she broke for him. Some called it a waste. When they looked at Jesus said, this is a waste. But she looked at Jesus and said, he is worthy of that cost. It's not that she didn't consider the cost. She just knew who Jesus was and what he meant to her. And she wanted to give her best. She just didn't want to give him leftovers. It had to be costly because the amount you sacrifice is tied to the degree you consider it valuable. Paul knows whatever he gives up can't compare to what Jesus has given up for him. And Jesus gave up a lot. He gave up the, uh, the right to his throne in heaven, to be with God, to be served by angels, to have everything he needs. He gave up a right to a home. He says, birds have nests and foxes have dens, but he had nowhere to lay his head relying on people uh, uh, to house him or, or camping out. He gave up his right to money. We already talked about that. He had to be funded by other people, provided for by his heavenly father. One time he's preaching a sermon and he's got to borrow a coin just to have an illustration. He, he gives up his rights to his reputation. We're all big about rep. I mean, from, from Jesus' standpoint, he was an illegitimate kid born in a hilljack town, right? He was nobody from nowhere. His own family called him crazy out of his mind, and the religious leaders that knew the most about Scripture called him a devil. And if that wasn't enough, he gave up rights to life itself. Why would he do that? you got to understand that Jesus is God. He was the Word in the beginning. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He didn't need to do anything to be more God. He's already God. We didn't deserve for him to do anything, but we're separated from God by this sin. Maybe. Boom. Well, that ain't going to work. Pen. Oh, man, going to ruin my illustration. Well, there we go. I'll fix it for second service. You can't see it, but that's a big minus. It's negative, right? We're separated from God by our sin, missing the mark. We're not loving God and loving others, and we're helpless. We can't do anything about it. It's this deep-rooted desire and our selfish urges to benefit ourselves at the cost of others. And it separates us from God. It's negative. We're losers. Sin makes us losers. So Jesus lowered his position Jesus lowered his position to raise our position. He turned our negative into a positive. He showed us that losing actually can be winning. 
He never sinned, but carried sin in his body on the cross so we might die to sin and live to do what is right. Paul never forgot the price Jesus paid for him and it compelled him to make costly sacrifices. Not to earn grace, but in response to it. He knew grace saved him, but grace also compelled him. Grace brought him into his position But check this out, it also informed his posture because he acknowledged the the right price paid for him. The question for us today is, do you acknowledge that price? What is God's grace to you? Is it amazing grace or did you do God a favor by becoming a Christian? Is your sin less than? Did, not, did God not die for you? Are you, have anything that God has given you that you should be excited about? Then how's your posture? Are you using your position to elevate your platform? Are you using your position to elevate others? You see, there's a world out here running Nowhere fast, and they're trying to get their lightning quick, and they want to know what you know. And if you will get in your position and take that right posture to reach out to them, to connect with them. It's not enough to just tell them to read the Bible and see you next Sunday. That's like handling handling my kindergarten calculus. Stay with me for a minute. I know the Bible informs us, but some people need you to be there to explain that Bible, to live the Bible so they can see the Bible. And guess what? You might be the only Jesus for some of them that they will ever see. What are they seeing in us? What are they seeing in you? Do you value the gospel? Do you value the price paid? Does it get you up? Does it get you excited? Does it get you pumping? Or is it a duty? Is it heavy? And here in this church, you know, God has put us in a prime position. I think God's best days for first are ahead of us, but it takes people being in their right position. So let me start off. Those that I know you're busy and you can't serve, you can't always get in uh, to groups and different things we offer, but just by giving, just by uh, supplying some of the needs for both here and our missionaries abroad, you are pumping life into that. I thank you. I can go out and have a steak every once in a while, but even more than that, we, we get to do things for our kids and our student ministries. Guess what? There is not a single uh, kids or student ministry that isn't bursting at the seams that couldn't use more people to help. And you think, oh, somebody will take care of that. Guess what? On vacation days like today, they are strapped. And you know what's happening right now? Our kids uh, program is growing. We've actually grown considerably, even more than combining our our attendances, it's growing. Student ministries, while we haven't had a pastor and we're still looking for a pastor, it's seeing a significant increase. And we need people to help, to love on those teens, to, to show them Jesus. You know, if that's too much a commitment for you and you're like, man, I mean, you, it's customizable. Just like, just like we're taught, you can serve as much or as little as you want. And we need you. 
We need you. This first family fair, the, you know, if you can't do any of those things, look around. It, it can get crowded in here. You can just go to second service. You're only limited by your imagination. You might have heard of this guy named Oliver Anthony, and he has this song, Richmond, North of Richmond. And I don't want to get into any of that, but I don't know if you know the backstory. He was strung out, drinking, smoking, full of anxiety, full of fear, hating God, want nothing to do with him. And it just got so bad as he's running fast, going nowhere, and it gets too much for him. And he has a moment, he goes to the hospital. He said, God, if you'll just straighten out my life, I'll dedicate it to you. And guess what happened? He puts out this song, he explodes. He went to the top of the chart for two weeks and he doesn't even have a record label. And he's been offered millions of dollars for contract and he's denied all that from his position. He lowers his posture, guess what? So he can raise the posture, the platform of Jesus. And now he goes on people like the Joe Rogan program and him and Hollywood, Hulk Hogan are saying scripture online to millions of people because he lowered his posture and took that position to elevate God and he's reaching millions of people all over the world. It's just little things. It's just little things that can make such a big difference. You might not like Joe Rogan, but guess what? They are reading scripture on his podcast. And Joe's thinking, pray for Joe. He'd be phenomenal. Can you imagine Joe Rogan? All right, we're gonna move into a time of communion. I'm sorry, I'm excited. I love you guys. You love this church? You love this church? <laughs> Father God, thank you for these people. I love them, I love them. Thank you for your sacrifice, amen. So we're gonna go in this time of communion. If you're, if you're whether you're a member here or not, you, you can get them at the front and back. Uh, to take with us and there'll be a timer and you can uh, use that time to talk about God. But it just, you know, talking about the position and it reminds me of uh, uh, Philippians, right, Scott? Is that coming to your head? Even though God, even though Jesus was God, he did not consider his position to God to be something to use to his own advantage. Instead, took the position of a slave, of a servant, by even coming, becoming obedient to death on a cross. That's our example. That's the guy who we're following. It's the guy that you're holding those emblems. That, that cracker is his body broken for you. That blood, the, the juice is his blood shed for you because God, Jesus, the Son of God, lowered his position to raise ours. So thank him for that. Pour out your heart to him for that. But also talk to him about how you can do the same.